Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. We've got terrific guests for today's show, including including Mark Shulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll visit with Larry Reed. The, uh, he is President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. And Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of great murder mysteries, uh, the first is Follow the Leader. The second is Shake the Money Tree. It is uh, April the 27th, and on this day in 4977 B.C., the universe was created, according to German mathematician and astronomer Johannes Kepler, considered a founder of modern science. Kepler is best known for his theories explaining uh, the motion of planets. Uh, Kepler was born on December 27, 1571, and in uh, Wildeverstadt, Germany, as a university student, he studied the Polish, with Polish astronomer Nicholas Copernicus, the theories of planetary ordering. Copernicus believed that the sun, not the earth, was the center of the solar system, a theory that contradicted the prevailing view of the era that the sun revolved around the earth. In 1600, Kepler went to Prague to work with Danish astronomer Tycho Brahe, the imperial uh, mathematician to Rudolf II, emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. Kepler's main project was to investigate the orbit of Mars. Uh, when Bray died the following year, Kepler took over his job and inherited Bray's extensive collection of astronomy data, which was been painstakingly observed by the naked eye. Over the next decade, Kepler learned about the work of Italian physicist and astronomer Galileo, who had invented a telescope with which he discovered lunar mountains and craters and the largest four satellites of Jupiter and phases of Venus, among other things. Galileo was, by the way, sentenced to death during the Roman Catholic Inquisition of 1633 because of his beliefs, scientific discoveries that contradicted uh, the beliefs in the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, Kepler corresponded with Galileo and eventually obtained a telescope of his own and improved upon the design. In 1609, Kepler published the first two of his three laws of planetary motion, which held that planets moved around the sun in ellipses, not circles, as it had been widely believed at the time, and the planets sped up as they approached the sun and slowed down as they moved away. In 1619, he produced his third law, which used mathematic principles to relate the time a planet takes to orbit the sun to the average distance of the planet from the sun. Kepler's research was slow to gain widespread traction during his lifetime, but he was later served as a key influence on the English mathematician Sir Isaac Newton and the law of gravitational force. Additionally, Kepler uh, did important work in the field of optics, including demonstrating how the human eye works in math. He died on November the 15th, 1630 in Regensburg. Germany is as for Kepler's circulation about the universe's uh, calculation about the universe's birthday. Scientists in the 20th century developed the Big Bang theory, which showed that his calculations were off by, say, oh, about 13.7 billion years. Unbelievable. Again, Kepler. Uh, friends walking on the beach just on uh, this weekend. We talked to him on the phone in the, in the front of their condo. They were walking on the beach, and a police officer approached them and said they had to leave. They asked the police officer why, and he replied, I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we're having things right now that are going on. I think it's time to get back to work. I think that's kind of my theme right now. But cases in Collier have increased to 535 cases. That's up a few, about a dozen, uh, 20, according to Saturday Morning's advisory. There have been 15 deaths in Collier County due to COVID-19. Now, again, the, the narrative here is due to, but I would suspect it's with COVID-19, uh, as we'll discover here in just a moment. 79 people uh, and uh, seven residents have it have been hospitalized for COVID-19. And in Florida, there's 31,528 cases of 1,074 deaths and 4,957 uh, 
hospitalizations. There have been 346,000 tests in Florida. That's about 12% of the population, isn't it? About positive, about 31,000. Negative, about 313,000, so a 9.1% positive uh, rate. Now, we're only conducting those tests, of course, in hot spots. So uh, the I would say the, the positive rate is probably much higher than that, uh, or lower, I should say. Hotspot in, in South Florida is Miami is with uh, 7,100 cases, or 7,001 case, I should say. Monday morning, hard to get my tongue working properly. In the U.S., about 965,000 cases and 55,000 deaths. More about these deaths here in just a moment. I'd like to do a little shout-out to Publix. Uh, with these will assist farmers affected by the coronavirus pandemic by purchasing fresh produce, donating uh, to the Feeding America, which is a not-for-profit food bank. Large orders from schools and restaurants that remain closed during the pandemic have led dairy farmers to dump excess milk in fields and chicken farmers to euthanize millions of chickens. Publix will be, uh, begin to purchase fresh produce from Florida uh, farmers and milk from dairy farmers in southeastern U.S. and distribute it to Feeding America, a network of over 200 food banks. I think that's terrific. And again, that's a win-win for everybody. The farmers are supported. Publics get some good uh, publicity for what they're doing, hopefully getting the uh, the uh, food at a, a good price and giving it to the food bank to support people who just don't have the funds right now because they can't work and other reasons. Well, during a press conference on Wednesday, California emergency room doctors Dan Erickson and Arden Masihi of Accelerated Urgent Care told reporters that nationwide lockdown policies are not an appropriate reaction to what current data shows about the China-originated novel, novel coronavirus, but are instead causing measurable public health issues like spikes in domestic violence, sexual abuse, depression, and spreading fear to non-COVID-19-related would-be patients that are skipping out on vital health care issues. Now, this is just an important commentary from their point of view. And here it is. We understand microbiology, we understand immunology, and we want strong immune systems, Erickson told reporters, but rebuffing inconsistent shelter-in-place orders, I don't want to stay in my home and develop a weak immune system and then come out and get a disease. Note that he believes being out will help develop his immune system. Erickson noted that the quarantining the healthy is like nothing he's seen before. We decided to keep people at home and isolate them, even though everything we've st studied about the quarantine, typically you quarantine the sick, he explained. When someone has measles, you'd quarantine them. We've never seen the healthy, where you take those without disease and without symptoms, and lock them in your home. So some of these things that we are, we've studied from immunology and microbiology are just not meshing with what we know as people of scientific minds who read this stuff, he said. Emergency room doctors across the nation, from California to Wisconsin to New York, said Erickson, are seeing folks avoid critical life-saving care out of fear. I don't know about you. It's time for me to get some blood work done. I'm, I'm avoiding it because I don't want to go to the doctor. Why? Because I don't want to be around sick people. And he probably isn't taking patients. Now. I haven't even called him. But anyhow, when I talk to ER physicians around the country, what's happening? He said, well, because of COVID has b become the focus. People with heart disease, people with cancer, hypertension, and various things that are critical are choosing not to come based on fear. So that's what's forcing this healthcare system to focus on COVID and not focus on a myriad of other things that are critical because we don't have the staff here. And the major complaint is fear. Meanwhile, he claimed the fatality rate for COVID-19, which he said might be more contagious uh, than flu, is on par with flu in terms of the fatality rates, if not lower, he said. And then he goes on, well, we have 39.5 million people in the state of California. If we just do a basic calculation and extrapolate out of that, that equates to about 4.7 million cases throughout the state of California, which means that uh, this thing is widespread, that this good news. We've seen 1,227 deaths in the state uh, in California. With, with, out of 4.7 million, that works out to 0.03 chance of dying from the disease in the state of California, considered, continued, adding 96% of the people in California who get it, recover. Uh, so, and, and here's the other thing. He said they've been re repeatedly asked to put on the death certificate 
COVID-19 as the cause of death. Uh, adding it to a report, if social distancing were key to dropping our deaths relative to model predictions, Dr. Erickson highlighted that Sweden and Norway, both Scandinavian countries, Sweden with lockdown and Norway without, there's no real difference between their death rates to indicate lockdown is warranted, he argued. Uh, spousal abuse, alcoholism, anxiety, depression, and suicide have spiked in their community, Dr. Erickson said. Education has dropped off. Economic collapse. Medical industry added. We're all suffering because our staff isn't here and we have no volume. These are all real things, and I'm seeing it every day. I don't uh, read about this stuff. I'm seeing it in my clinics, he said. We have clinics from Fresno to San Diego, and these things are spiking in our community. These things will affect people for a lifetime, not for a season. So let's make sure we're clear on that, he said. And again, <clears throat> he said uh, he noted that doctors across the country felt pressure to include COVID on the death reports. Now, uh, this is not coming from the doctors, but the, the, the uh, a Minnesota state senator who has happened to be a, a doctor came forward to reveal how hospitals are getting more in funding if they list more patients as having COVID-19, even if the patients are more likely to have something else such as pneumonia. Uh, the issue is that the loose definitions of the term probable or presumed cause of death uh, and apparently Medicare allocation is higher if the cause of death is coronavirus. So you see, this, uh, where this whole thing is being fueled by fear, and of course, it's being supported by health, by uh, public health care officials. So we're seeing more and more uh, COVID-19 as the cause of death when it really is perhaps they have it, or maybe they don't, but uh, irrespective. In some uh, countries begin to reopen, the World Health Organization is warning of a false sense of security. And they're not supporting things either. They're saying, don't, don't open up yet. Well, we need to open up. Who should make the decision? I believe it's you and I should decide how we're going to operate in this environment. And business owners can make the decisions, not the uh, CDC or other uh, healthcare professionals. All right. Uh, this segment of the show brought to you by Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. Coming up, we're going to visit with Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Culture Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards with six full productions this season. But did you know that Gulf Shore Playhouse brings unique theater education programs and opportunities for children, teens, and adults alike? Education is a vital component of Gulf Shore Playhouse's mission, providing programs aimed at enriching the lives of our children, teens, and students of all ages. Each offering provides real-life skills and learning experiences that are invigorating, nurturing, and readily accessible to every member of our community thanks to the scholarships and reduced-price programming for our region's most deserving students. From in-school 
residencies and pre-professional theater training to community partnerships, audience engagement, and student matinees. The goal is to inspire creativity, encourage self-expression, and support the blossoming of self-confidence, collaboration, and a deep appreciation for the arts. With each passing year, Golf Show Playhouse continues to touch the lives of tens of thousands of students throughout Southwest Florida. Isn't it time that a young person in your life finds out more? For more information about student camps and the teen conservatory, visit the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And, of course, the theater is closed right now. But education programs are coming up, as well as New Works Festival and a new season coming up. You can find out more by visiting the very robust website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed, the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now we have with us, from Israel in Tel Aviv, I believe, Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com, a terrific multimedia website. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. Uh, for our listeners' benefit, just uh, mention a little bit about uh, HistoryCentral.com, a terrific Absolutely. website. Absolutely. It's a website that handles deals with all of history. We specialize in American history. We start from before the arrivals of the first explorers and go right through. The latest entry is on the COVID-19 virus, and so we try to keep up to date as well as we can. We have special sections on presidential elections, which I have not updated recently for the changes in the 2020 election yet, but we'll get to that one of these days. Yeah. Um, but we have history of each and every election since since the first election of President Washington, explanations about why the electoral, why we have an electoral college, what the pluses, what the minuses are, um, how it could or could not be changed. Uh, we have sections on aviation, on railroads. We have a history of every U.S. naval ship. Um, and we have sections on different nations in the world and also on the states. We've added that recently. A section on each state in the United States. And slowly we hope to add cities and counties. So yeah. Amazing. Amazing. We keep website. busy. Yeah. And uh, I, I would just... Uh, I- uh, also, I want to acknowledge the fact that uh, young people now are at home. They're not going to school. What a great way to learn about history is to be able to... Right, we also have a, a YouTube site. Some of it's tied to the website. Some of it's separate, the History Central YouTube site. We have over 350 uh, videos on the site. About half of them are videos that we ourselves made, and about half of them are uh, newsreels from the National Archives, universal newsreels like Years ago, when I was making our first CD-ROMs, I spent a couple of weeks in the National Archives copying them, and now I decided that since they're all sitting on my hard disks, uh, they shouldn't die on my hard disks, so slowly but surely I've been uploading more and more of these newsreels that go back all the way to the 1930s. Yeah, just a, it's, it's incredible. Actually, your books have uh, hundreds and hundreds of, uh, you know, you couldn't include it in, in a hardbound book, but the uh, e- e-books are just really terrific. So, Mark, you know, from uh, we've been talking about current events, global events, uh, well, well over a decade now on the show on Monday mornings. And uh, as I understand it, uh, there's been an attack by Israel on Syria today. Right. Of course, Israel has not confirmed or denied it, but there were, there were reports in Syria of an attack from the air. It sounds like on another one of the shipments that the Iranians were making via Syria to the Hezbollah in Lebanon. Israel's made it very clear that they will not allow Hezbollah or limit the amount of precision-guided missiles Hezbollah can build, and that's what the Iranians have been trying to get to them. And Israel, over the last almost more than a year, has been intercepting those, those shipments, usually by air attacks, and another one took place overnight or in the early hours of this morning, from what I can tell. Hmm. Um, it's an ongoing policy not to allow them to do that because uh, Hezbollah has 50,000 missiles in Lebanon aimed at Israel, and although we have a missile defense system, it could easily be overwhelmed by that number of missiles. And so one of the things is to make sure they don't have precision-guided missiles because that, of course, becomes much more effective. So th- so this is an attack on a specific target for, of the missiles. It's not necessarily an attack against Syria or on Syria, then. Correct. No, it's it's in Syria, but it's against the missiles. Oh, gotcha. Very much so. Okay, so it's probably not going to be too unsettling for the Middle East then at this point. Probably not. I mean, they've accepted the the past ones, and the, they've accepted the others without, you know, Israel doesn't officially say they did it, and the Syrians don't accuse them, and everybody is sort of goes about their business, and the Iranians know this is the price of doing business, trying to sneak them through. 
uh, that's probably where we stand. Although, you know, one of these times something will go wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, like everything else in the world, most wars and conflicts come from unintended consequences from one of your actions. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Mark, uh, before we move on to the coronavirus and talk about how it's affecting, this pandemic is affecting not only in the United States, but around the globe, uh, Kim Jong-un is uh, presumed dead, presumed ill, presumed in a coma or healthy. Nobody seems to know. What are your thoughts? Nobody seems to know. The uh, latest result this morning, the South Korean intelligence says they have no knowledge of him being sick or ill. On the other hand, there are those people who claim he's he's dead, uh, incapacitated, had a bad operation, and the operation went wrong. He's brain dead. We really have no idea. You know, it's one of those things with communist dictators. You you never know anything until you find out about it. So I wouldn't want to speculate. You know, I could just see him. He has this very bizarre sense of humor just coming on the world stage tomorrow and saying, you know, hey, look what I did. I drove you all crazy, but I was, I was fishing, you know. <laughs> Rocket man. So, uh, yeah, the, apparently there's a visual from the, from the sky of a, of a train that stopped at one of his uh, compounds. Resorts. Yeah, I right. resort compound. So maybe he's just taking a vacation. Who knows? Yeah, it could be the fact too. Although he missed his dad's birthday, it was his dad's birthday, I guess, or grandfather's birthday. So, uh, which is a ceremonial time that he should be available. So who knows? You're right. But uh, I, do you know anything about his sister? Apparently, uh, the the news is reporting that the heir apparent to the role is uh, his well, the, sister. Okay, so so theoretically, yes. I mean, she's an educated woman. We don't know too much about her. Because the North Koreans look upon their leadership as divine, so therefore it's basically like kings and, and queens, and so therefore uh, it would go to the sister if he dies, if if they continue this this cult worship of some kind or another. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's so it's so hard for us to imagine based on our own experiences in life and even the rest of history. But this is really where they where they are. Yeah. And uh, she would be, uh, if in fact uh, she was presumed next leader, she'd be the first woman since the founding of the country. In, I think it was 1948, if I'm not mistaken. So correct. Uh, I don't know what the implications might be of that, but irrespective, uh, let's move on. I'll tell you what. Let's take a quick break and then come back and let's talk a little bit about the pandemic, what's going on, and how it's affecting around the globe. Can we do that? Absolutely, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Lyndon and myself. Located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, Blue Provence offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. During the governor's stay-at-home notice, Blue Provence is offering pick-up curbside takeout options five nights a week, Tuesday through Saturday. To place an order, just call 261-8239 Tuesday through Saturday from 4 to 7 p.m. A 20% discount will be applied on all food orders during these unprecedented times. Compliment your order with amazing wines from the Blue Provence Retail Wine Store, offering amazing choice and value. Blue Provence Wine Store is open Monday to Saturday, 9 to 12 p.m., and has one of the most eclectic and fun wine cellars, offering 10% off cases. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. 
And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs, among other things, to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and of course that's after the pandemic. You can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Jim McTagg, uh, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. And, and so uh, right now, uh, we're all thinking about when do we open up the country. Of course, we get admonitions and warnings from the CDC and all kinds of things. So there's a tug and a push and a pull about this whole thing. Let's start off with what's happening in Israel. Well, Israel's interesting. Um, Israel has done relatively well. It has just has about 200 deaths and about, um, I think it's um, 12, 14,000 cases of, uh, oh, 15,000 cases of Coronova. So it has one of the lowest death rates in the world. Mm-hmm. And at this point, the numbers of people, new people who are being um, infected have dropped to about 140 a day. Uh, keep in mind, the country was of 8 million to give it some sort of scale. Mm-hmm. So basically the size of New York City in terms of people. Um, and so they started opening things up after a lot of screaming and yelling by some of the businesses because the government didn't do a great job in terms of compensation. They keep on talking about the programs but haven't been very good at actually dispersing them. So they started opening up almost all the street stores have been opened up till now. And they're talking about opening the schools. When they do, they'll open the schools only for for K and K and one, and they're going to decrease the class sizes from the average of 25 to like five per class, and divide it up to like more teachers and A and B days. They have a whole plan which may or may not work. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's you know there's that whole issue. Look, we we're all dealing with the same issue, which is the um, the curfews, the closures, all of those things have worked. Almost all over the world where it's been done, the curve is, is bent and the number of new infections is going down, um, but the cost has been tremendous. Mm-hmm. And so the question becomes, how do you balance reopening and yet making sure that you don't you know, let, him, let the pandemic run wild, because if it runs wild, then you're, you're back into uh, a difficult situation. Yeah. The other part of it, though, is what you can do a lot more, which you couldn't do when you're trying to close down, is you can experiment a lot more. In other words, we don't really know, you know, okay, what's clearly not going to happen anytime soon is big rav parties of, you know, a thousand people in a disco or anything right, like right. that. That that we know is a de- definitely a, a bad thing. Um, but, you know, can you get it if you're sitting in an outdoor cafe? Is that really a bad thing? Or... Um, you can get it from your barber, or how, you know how do how do you find the right balance of opening up the economy in such a way that you're doing things carefully and slowly that you can see have no impact uh, on increasing the the virus's spread, and yet can slowly get the full economy going as quickly as as possible, and that, and, and that's really the real balance because yeah. when it, when it had to be stopped, you don't really you didn't really know what to do. You had to just throw everything you had at it to stop it, because if it got any, you know, certainly in places like New York, et cetera, if it had gotten any worse, you're dealing with, you know, a terrible, terrible situation. Right, but I guess the question I have is, who's in the best decision to make the decision, and whose decision is it? Okay, so you get two sets of questions, right? So whose decision is it? Um, On some levels, I would almost say it has to be on a municipal level, Uh because I'm not sure that, for instance, if you look at um, Georgia, let's take that, that, that as an example of a place that's pushing to open fastest. I'm not sure the same situation exists in in, um, in Atlanta than exists in parts of rural Georgia, right? I mean, right. density and any of those sort of matters are, are very, very different in those two places. So I would drive it more so, to, to, a, to a different level. I would say... Uh, the people that are, are the person who's best able to make the decision would be you or me. In other words, I know the conditions and situations of my home, the situation of my business. I can make decisions that, uh, I, you know, an American ingenuity. No, but you see, that doesn't work really because you're dealing with a glo- you're dealing with a health issue. And when you deal with a health issue like this, you have the issue of the problem of the, the commons. So let's say for the sake of argument, I'm a restaurateur who has 
who says to myself, you know what, the really risk is small out there because we've gotten a certain herd mentality and, you know, I really need the money. I'm about to go bankrupt. I need to really get this thing going. I'm going to get lots of people in here as best as I can and give away free, whatever it's necessary, and I'm going to do that because I don't think it's really a problem. And and some of my customers don't think it's really a problem, and let's go ahead. So, but if, but, if he does but, that, if if the customers do that, it's then uh, they have to take the consequences. I would suggest no, to you, but it's not their consequence. It's the people they see afterwards. It's consequences. That's the problem with something like this. But it's see, not an individual decision. Yeah, yeah. The individual decision is wonderful. Okay, you got sick. Okay, that's your problem. You take the consequences. But how about the supermarket checkout person you see as you, when you're leaving? Yeah, what we're and the other and the, and the gasoline guy you see when you're leaving, or any one of the other people that you. You, that you've now infected because you made the decision to go someplace that was too dangerous. Well, I would say, and, and, and that's why this is not an. I know you're a big individual decisions, but this is not something because we don't. When we make a decision like this, the consequences are not just for us. Well, the consequences go beyond us. What we've learned, I think, so far is that that this uh, uh, virus is extremely contagious. There's no question about that. But we're finding out that the people who are affected by it and have real health issues are those that have already had uh, subordinated uh, immune systems. Or no, but we have well, we've, we've had all these cases again. When you get to numbers, the numbers they stop mattering. There are all these cases now of people in their 30s and 40s who have gotten strokes as a result of of the virus out of the blue. People have gotten strokes and died. We've had people who've had heart uh, heart failure again out of the blue, uh, and that's happened happened as well. Yes, it's not most people; it's a smaller percentage. And yes, the highest risk factor for dying are people who have you know other health issues. Yeah. But look at some of the people who are relatively healthy who've been infected, and some of them have been in the hospital for three weeks, and even not in the hospital, three four weeks in bed and at home. Yeah. Uh, these are not, this is not something that they can be looked upon as well you know only the only the elderly die yes most elderly more elderly die than anything else because their bodies are less able to take the trauma that this causes but it kills other people clearly and it certainly incap- incapacitates other people yeah, and i think everything so you're i saying... don't believe that you can do, you you have to have a strategy that's looking at the overall health yeah, you but can't I, have a strategy that says individuals are responsible for themselves because they are responsible for themselves. Yeah, but they infect other people. I would suggest and you people though, have to be a, they have to people have to be at work whether it's a policeman or it's a toll collector, whatever it is that you know essential services have to have to work, and those people deserve to know that we've at least done the best we can not to become infected. Yeah, so uh, we have right now uh, a lot of unintended consequences. I would suggest to you that I, I, I do think like uh, social distancing is a good thing. I think every, we should have guidelines, but we should be able to operate and make decisions within those guidelines. And for example, I, uh, I, I started the show by mentioning I had some friends that they were stopped by a policeman. They were walking on the beach in front of their home, and, they, and uh, the policeman came up to a big burly guy said, you got to leave the beach. And they asked why, and he said, I don't know. <laughs> so right. you, listen, you, as we know with everything, when you make a rule, unfortunately rules are too, you know, are really hard. It's really problematic because, yeah. you know, it's, you're not dangerous. Like I know here in Israel, made big news, for instance, some people went out surfing, and they got arrested for going out surfing because the beach was closed. Yeah. Right now, who are they exactly going to get infected while out there surfing? I mean, nobody. You know, that's obviously an absurdity. But they sent a police helicopter and uh, you know the whole the whole thing they they threw to at, at to stop these people. So yes, there's no question that when you make rules, it gets out of hand, and we need to be much more intelligent upon what rules we make. And you know, one of the problems, of course, and, and, and I give all the public officials all over the United States um, a, a level of a pass, is everyone was making decisions in a running crisis. Yeah. And so sometimes you may have made a lot of mistakes in the decisions that you made, and whether, you know, local, state, government, national, you made mistakes because, you, you know, you don't, first of all, you don't really know what to do. So my, my point of view is... So, fast. So, so now my view is that when you're opening up, you need to be much more thoughtful yeah. and careful and do it as quickly as you can, but as thoughtfully as you can to make sure that you have the least number of 
unexpected consequences of doing it. So we all have an interest in, in our own health and welfare, and I would suggest the person who has a, a problem with his immune uh, system or with cancer or any other type of problem is probably more concerned about it than the health official. So we we have the capacity to make decisions for ourselves because based on our own self-interest. On, for example, finding 36 square feet and, and, and staying in that place where nobody else can get close to us or going out and uh, running our business and, and encouraging our employees to stay healthy because we know if they get sick, they can't continue to work. Making sure that our customers are safe because if they get sick, they can't come and buy, and buy our services. Okay, but you, you, you're making two assumptions here that are just not true. One is that everyone makes the, makes the correct rational decisions, and we know enough well, to know they, that people... they don't, and if they don't, they, they lose their business, they but lose the, their health. No, but it's not that. It's the, it's, it's, the, and the, it's the consequence for the third party that we have to worry about. This is not something where individualism works alone because we don't live by ourselves on our own little islands. We interact with other people on a daily basis, whether we like it or not, and certain people are forced to interact. People who have to go to, go to work and don't have the luxury of staying home are forced to interact. I mean, look at the death rates in New York. Where, out of all proportion, transit workers, for instance. Yeah, well, look, we're, they we're, had to go to work and keep the transit working. Yeah, we are actually, and, does, we actually as a, as a species, should be interacting with other people, not isolated. And I think absolutely. That's, that's creating but, but again, so, but, but, but we cannot leave to the individual to make their own total health decisions because, A, we've discovered in history people don't always make the right decisions, and B, there's the problem of the commons. The problem is that what might be good for you on an individual basis, if only you counted, may not be better for society because, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm 25, let's say, for the sake of argument. My chances if I get this virus are that it'll be, you know, maybe I'll have a couple of aches and pains, I'll have a fever for one day, and that'll be the end of it. Big deal, you know. I'm willing, I'm willing to live my life fully because I know that risk exists, and it's not that such a big risk. And, you know, there is a slight chance I might get a stroke and die, but it's such a small chance I'm more likely to get it by crossing the street and being hit by a car. Okay, that's fair enough. However, I'm this 25-year-old, and I get it, and I'm now carrying it, and I'm, I've gotten it so... I got, I've gotten it with, you know, such a mild case, I don't even know I have it. Right. And so, you know what? I go to the supermarket and check out, and I go to this, and I, and I get on the train, and I do all these sort of things because I don't even know I have it. And because I'm 25, I'm okay, but you know what? Not everybody on the train is 25, and not every... You know, and not everybody who's 60 years old can afford to quit work and stay in the houses. All right. Well, Mark, listen, you know what? I'd like to continue the conversation. But this all comes back to, down to whose decision is it. And I hope our listeners at any event have, have enjoyed exploring the options that we have here. And I just genuinely appreciate your coming on the show. I wish we had more time to talk about this. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great week, Bob. You Thank as well. You. Thank stay you stay. so much, Mark. All right. Coming up, I enjoy so much speaking with him. We, we see the world through different lenses, and I hope that uh, you enjoy uh, – exploring it uh, from each of us. Okay, coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed. He is the uh, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink, as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road, and it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. As Southwest Florida is impacted by the coronavirus crisis, the organizations that provide relief and support to our community's most vulnerable population are finding their resources stretched. For 32 years, St. Matthew's House has provided food, shelter, and comfort to those struggling with poverty, food insecurity, and homelessness. St. Matthew's House is the only emergency homeless shelter in Cuyahoga County, sheltering more than 300 men, women, and children every night and providing more than 500,000 meals each year to those in need. 
for those who have shelter but are food insecure, direct assistance is offered through the St. Matthew's House Food Pantry and Grocery Distribution. Donations of food, hygiene supplies, detergent, diapers, and monetary support are needed. Curbside drop-off is available at St. Matthew's House Main Thrift Store at 2601 Airport Road, South Naples. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization that does not solicit government funding. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org or call 239-774-0500. That's 774-0500. back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. I hope you'll visit the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. He's former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us Larry Reed. Larry is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Larry. Tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. The Foundation, or FEE, F-E-E as we call it, is an educational organization focused on young people of high school and college age uh, through our website at fee.org and through seminars that we hold all over the world. Uh, we aim to educate and inspire young people and ideas of liberty free enterprise, private property, and personal character. And I urge your listeners to give us a look at fee.org. Fee.org. And I I strongly (coughs) encourage our listeners, if you have young people in your life of those ages, it will be such an impactful thing for them to be exposed to the ideas of freedom and liberty through the Foundation for Economic Education, fee.org. So, Larry, you wrote a column. I found it so entertaining. It's like, what a relief to think about something other than the... (laughs) coronavirus is <laughs> about how a German housewife fed up with coffee grounds revolutionized a famous drink. And, of course, the, the preliminary comments that you made about the history of coffee were so interesting. Well, thank you, uh, Bob. And it really uh, scored well. We've had a lot of uh, viewers of that article from all over the world. And, and that's probably because coffee is truly a global beverage. Mm-hmm. Uh, next to uh, water itself, it's probably... Uh, Uh, as universal a beverage as as there is. And I quoted an author who pointed out that uh, it is grown commercially on four continents and consumed enthusiastically in all seven, including Antarctica, uh, where scientists uh, who are based there uh, love their coffee. And there's even an Italian espresso machine on the International Space Station. Uh, It's had a storied history. Mm-hmm. It certainly has. And now, uh, of course, if you've ever been camping, I recall when I went camping that uh, we put an egg in the coffee to keep the grounds from <laughs> getting involved. But if you've ever had grounds in your coffee, it's not fun. So, so what happened with this German housewife? Okay. Uh, this uh, German housewife from Dresden was named Melita Bentz, B-E-N-T-Z. Uh, fa- fascinating woman. She was a housewife and uh, had no invention to her name before uh, she came up with uh, something crucial to coffee 112 years ago mm-hmm. in 1908. But like most people of the day, they loved their coffee, but they did not like uh, the grounds that ended up in their cup, and they didn't like the bitterness that uh, uh, some of the brewers of the day uh, produced. So uh, she thought there had to be a better way, she tried several different materials to uh, uh, filter out the coffee grounds before they got into your cup. And one day she uh, just grabbed a piece of blotting paper from her uh, son's school book and put it uh, on top of a um, cup and punched a couple holes in it and poured the hot water over the coffee she'd put in it. And uh, the holes were small enough that... Uh, the water dripped through without any grounds, hmm. and lo and behold, she had invented the coffee filter. And, uh, uh, of course, she uh, experimented with other materials and made it much better rather quickly. And uh, within a year, she uh, had her own company uh, employing her husband and her two sons, and uh, it really took off. And uh, 
uh, ultimately, Melita Benz, who died in 1950, mm. became a wealthy woman. She sold hundreds of millions of coffee filters all over the world, and the company, uh, still to this day that she founded, is run by the family. Isn't that just a fantastic story? It's just an object lesson on having an idea, having a problem, really, and uh, being able to solve it through ingenuity and, and building a business, which is just fantastic. Uh, you know, we kind of skipped over. We just got a little bit of time here, Larry. You can talk about uh, uh, the how decaffeinated coffee, ground coffee, or, or uh, instant coffee just doesn't taste the same. You did a little research on that. Uh, yes, I did. There are various kinds of, uh, uh, lots of varieties of the coffee plant, of course, that uh, makes a difference in the taste. And uh, there are different ways to prepare it. Uh, in Taiwan, about five or six years ago, uh, I learned of a coffee that is made by uh, uh, civets. Uh, civets are a tropical forest cat, and they ha- happen to like the uh, coffee beans and so they eat the beans and then excrete them out the other side (laughs) and they're gathered up and uh, (laughs) (laughs) well the process of the civet eating the the beans uh, is kind of a natural depulping and uh, filtration process and then they uh, uh, process them from there and, and serve you coffee made from uh, beans that were eaten by civets. I couldn't taste uh, much difference uh, in the coffee. Uh-huh. Uh, it is very expensive, but I did br- bring some home. And huh. uh, because my trip was uh, accompanied by a good friend from China, uh, he has asked me over the years about that coffee if I continue to drink it. Uh, he uses an interesting adjective I can't repeat on the air, but <laughs> <laughs> in in any, in any event, uh, uh, it's expensive, but uh, doesn't taste all that much different, I didn't think. Wow, it's just such an interesting story. Again, Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education, and really do encourage you to take a look at the website yourself and refer it to young people. And, boy, if you have an opportunity after this whole co- uh, quarantine business gets over with, have them attend a seminar. They'll really get a lot out of it. Larry, I genuinely appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. He is the he's a former Barron's Washington bureau chief. He had his own press pass to the White House. Uh, he retired from that job, and he's been writing ever since. His last couple of novels are quite there's great murder mysteries. One is Follow the Leader. The second is uh, uh, Shake the Money Tree. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs, at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulubee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. 
Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. When uh, this pandemic is over with, uh, they can they work really hard at uh, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare, off of uh, the food stamps, and back to work. You can find out more by visiting thefga.org. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of several books, his latest two, his first is uh, Follow the Leader, and the sequel is Shake the Money Tree, both great murder mysteries. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Jim. So, I mean, with this coronavirus going on, I wonder if you have any particular thoughts on how, what direction you're thinking about this whole thing. Yeah, uh, uh, this morning I was reading uh, Dilbert, which uh, I, I had the uh, privilege when I worked at Barron's of traveling to California and visiting Scott Adams. Wow the illustrator of uh, Dilbert at his house, wow. you know, which was a thrill. But anyway, in today's Dilbert, he's out for a, uh, a walk. He's practicing social distancing. He's on a bridge and he sees a human being coming in the opposite direction. So he jumps off the bridge. Um, <laughs> kind of what I do. Uh, but I, I've been thinking that, uh, and, and the data shows that we went way overboard mm-hmm. in shutting down the economy. Um, and in social distancing, and uh, you know, the sooner the sooner we curtail this, uh, the better. We're not we're not going to get back to normal for many, many, many months in terms of uh, economic growth. Uh, but uh, you know, I was reading today that in Florida, for example, there are 19 counties where they had they've had no COVID deaths. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, why continue? a total economic shutdown in those counties. Uh, I have a friend, John Sylvia, who's um, a former chief economist for Wells Fargo. He's a fishing buddy, very smart man. And, um, you know, using uh, Florida Today statistics, he has a benchmark of uh, something called 10 deaths a day. You know, when you look at cancer and diabetes and all the other uh, suicides, 10 deaths a day seems to be a, uh, a benchmark you can use to, to argue that anything in excess of 10 is um, an emergency and anything below 10 is pretty much normal. Mm-hmm. And uh, applying that across the United States, he sees multiple states where uh, COVID deaths are, are well below 10 deaths a day and, and the states could open up yeah. because they're not like they're not densely populated like New York. So so it doesn't make sense to apply a New York standard to, say, New Mexico. Well, I would agree with that. And first, and I, I had a pillow fight with uh, my first guest this, uh, today uh, about uh, whose decision is it to uh, about this whole thing. And what I'm seeing is uh, because of the fear created by the mainstream media by the and by the health departments of various, uh, whether it be CDC or whatever it might be, uh, these people are, you know, got to be careful, can't open. There could be a second wave. It may take two years. We have one governor in Virginia saying it's going to take a couple years to re- to open up the economy, which is ridiculous. We can each make our own personal decisions. We have our health at stake, but we have our personal self-interest, and we can are probably best able to make the decisions about what to do. Uh, the least uh, likely is the federal government. Next to that would be the state, and following that would be, for example, the county officials. I would think the person that can make the best decision about my health is me. What do you think? Yeah, I, no, I agree. Uh, uh, what's lacking, what I see, you know, I'm a geezer. Uh, I'm a geezer, I too. To geezer, geezer shopping hours, which I love. I hope they continue forever. <laughs> uh, but common sense, because, because we have a lot of information mm-hmm. now, through, and I give newspapers credit for, for passing on information about how we can protect ourselves from the disease, um, we, can, we can be commonsensical. Uh, now, one problem I have locally, and I know this is the case across the country, 
is that local health departments are um, not releasing all the information we would like to have. So, for example, I live in Alexandria, Virginia. I know that currently there are 80 COVID patients in our local hospital. I don't know how many are in ventilators. I don't know how many are dying. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going to adhere to uh, John Sylvia's 10 deaths, COVID deaths a day as a uh, standard of my behavior, uh, the data isn't out there. Uh, Number two, testing. I have no clue as to where I could be tested in Mm -hmm. Virginia. They just have not been clear on that in this state. So, so information, I mean, you know, the old uh, saw that uh, sunlight is the best disinfectant. Uh, you know, we need more data uh, to make intelligent decisions. Now, um, well, the data, you, da- that, Jim, if I may, I mean, the decisions that uh, the information that I think you need or I need is, is how's my immune system? Uh, what am I, what kind of, uh, uh, how susceptible am I to getting sick? Do I have problems with breathing, pneumonia, those types of things? If, if I can make my own personal self-assessment with the help of my doctor, whatever my health history, you know, I can make a decision about whether I should go outside, whether I should be, be close to people within six feet. Of course, we should have guidelines on distancing and all that type of thing. But, And then for somebody who has has an immune system that's questionable, they should probably quarantine themselves, self-quarantine, until they're, they're uh, through this, this thing. Uh, I agree, because uh, then we could have concierge services for those people. Like right now, if you try to order groceries for delivery in my area, mm-hmm. you have to wait two or three weeks because <laughs> everybody's doing it, uh, uh-huh. because people don't know. You know, uh, because if you if you do read the papers, you get the impression that if I catch this disease, I'm a dead man. Yeah. So... So it's overloading that part of the system. So, so some kind of rationality would return to uh, everyday life. And uh, there are some people like, like me who would, sh- who would be less uh, visible in the public than normal, right. uh, usual. But, you know, uh, life would go on. You know, I saw an, Alaska is opening its economy today, uh, not fully, like um, restaurants will have to uh, limit the number of patrons in, in the restaurant at any one time. And, um, you know, they have to go do ridiculous amounts of uh, sanitizing after each diner. But, uh, you know, the Anchorage paper had a story about a Juno couple, Dale and Stacy Smith. This is sad. Uh, my brother lives in Juno. He sent it. Uh, Last year, they took their life savings and they bought two boats and licensing to launch a, a whale watching business. And uh, of course, uh, they depend on a one and a half million cruise ship passengers a year in Juneau oh, for the economy. Goodness. Well, those people aren't coming. These people have two boats, they're not in the water. Uh, Dale, it turns out, has a, a, a serious cancer, so now he has medical bills on top of uh, the boat purchases. Uh, they can't get federal aid because they're a brand new business, so they don't have a payroll history. Yeah. So I mentioned that not, not as a tearjerker, but I, but every community has a Dale and Stacy Smith. That's I mean, exactly and, right. And this shutdown, the shutdown is just going to have such a devastating blow on the economy, and and, and the wreckage won't become clear for some months. See, so, I mean, like the World Health Organization is suggesting that we should all carry, like, immunity passports, like risk-free certificates. And if somebody questions, we have to be able to demonstrate we have one of these in order to be out in the open. I mean, that is just going way overboard. Again, I come back to... Yeah, that's like selling a Star of David on your chest in uh, Germany during uh, pre-World War II. It's... It's just ludicrous. It is ludicrous, uh, and, uh, and again, it's time to make some sense. I, I I agree. We should have closed down. We needed to react and find out more about this. But now that we know it's very contagious, but not as deadly as we thought, uh, you know, just getting out, even if you get the virus, you develop your immunity to it. So uh, I'm for aggressively allowing people to make decisions for themselves, and uh, I think most people will make good decisions. Some won't. And, of course, what do we do? We distance ourselves from those businesses, from those people that don't make good decisions, right? Uh, Right. And then we have stupid decisions like the federal government closed down all the national parks. So if you want to get away from people in the woods, you can't do it. (laughs) Or or paying unemployment uh, that's more than people made in the first place. (laughs) That's a whole different story. Hey, Jim, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. And I want to remind our listeners, get the books. 
They're terrific. Follow the leader and uh, shake the money tree. Jim McTagg, MC, capital T-A-G-U-E. Jim, thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure, Bob. All right. Have a good week. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. We've got great guests for tomorrow, including Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator, will be joining us. Boo Mortensen. We'll find out what's new with Boo. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government. And Art DiLorenzo, uh, uh, Maximize Your Talent uh, founder and really interesting guy. We'll visit with him as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs> <laughs>